These are my friends, these are my friends, I love them, I love them. These are my friends, these are my friends, I love them, I love them. Ahoy, ahoy, everybody. It is that time, once again, for the Everybody Trades Podcast. With me, your host, John Miller. Welcome, as always. And I tell you, one thing that's nice in earnings season, when a lot of stocks go up, a lot of stocks go down, your ego takes a hit, you start curling up on the on the floor with your bottle of vodka and your bad days, ooh, can get rough out there, people. If you think this is a game about math and numbers, I got news for you. It's more about you and your frailty as a human being. So keep that in mind whenever you're trying to invest or trade. But having said that, during these days of earnings, tumult, and chaos, and yes, even the good times, I usually watch Squawk on the Street on CNBC, the first hour anyways, on on most days. And if you'll recall, I had an episode recently entitled China's Dictatorship Advantage with the question mark at the end. In other words, I'm going, wait, does China have a dictatorship advantage? Well, spoiler alert, I don't want to spoil the episode if you haven't gone back and uh, listened to it, but guess what? I don't think it's an advantage to be a dictatorship. I think it's an advantage to be a free market, but a lot of people on the air disagree with me, so it was nice to hear Jim Cramer this morning wrestle it away, wrestle the narrative away a little bit from the sort of mainstream, oh my God, we're all going to die and China's going to take us down narrative. Let's hear what Jim had to say. You can't continually denigrate your own currency without getting inflation. And inflation hurts everybody in China. Now, I know that there's this really all-knowing, all-seeing uh, dialogue that we get on the media here, which is that the Chinese, because they're a command economy, nobody gets laid off, nobody suffers, everybody does great. If that was the case, then guess what? What? We would all be in command economies. Command economies ultimately fail. And I, I don't know why China is excluded by history, because it just says, I mean, what do we say? We just, command economies uh, just were, I mean, I remember the dialogue against when we were dealing with Khrushchev and uh, Brezhnev. And we always felt, you know what? In the end, they have to win because it's command economy. Well, guess what? It was awful. Now, the first thing Jim said in his bite is completely correct. Inflation does crush everyone in China. The people is who it crushes, actual Chinese people. You see, what happens is, even if you get, say, a pay raise of 50%, well, what if inflation gets past 50%? Then in reality, you didn't get a wage increase. You got a, a real wage decrease because the, the things that your buying power, your yuan buying power, isn't what it used to be. So in other words, even if you yourself are doing well, the government can steal your money by printing and printing more of it. In other words, inflation does this. I drink your Milkshake. I drink it up. That's right. Inflation drinks your milkshake. Let there be no doubt about that. Now, I will say I I do assume in that bite that Jim Cramer is mostly talking about price inflation. 
Now, price inflation is a which is what is ref- commonly referred to as just inflation. This is where it gets a tiny bit confusing, but that's their fault. It's about words. Just stick with me here a little bit. When I talk about inflation, I'm talking about the printing of dollars or yuan in this case, in the case of the Chinese government, out of thin air, which of course ultimately will result in price inflation if left unchecked. But other than that ever so slight disagreement or differentiation, Jim Cramer is totally spot on here. There's no advantage to being a command and control economy. The market economy is the advantage. We've seen this throughout the entire 20th century and into the 21st century. And of course, in the 19th century, it was even more obvious. What more obvious examples do we need? See, I talk about the seen and the unseen a lot, but this is seen. This is very obviously seen by anybody. Which, which countries are people trying to move to? Which countries are people trying to flee? What more evidence do we need other than that? Well, apparently some people need more evidence because you heard some slight pushback from David Faber there in the background, and there's a third voice in the second half of this clip, Carl Quintanilla as well. So let, let's hear the end of this conversation. You really think there's that many similarities between the I think it's worse. model? I think it's worse. Really? Yes, because it was impossible for the, you could not the revolt. Russians ever have you 10% can, GDP growth the way the Chinese have had, or 8%, whatever that's been, ever? No, but the Russians had a lot of divisions that were meant to keep the people down more than the Chinese have, and in the end, the people rose up. And that's what I'm talking about. I see dissension in China. I'm just saying be a little more balanced. The Chinese are not as powerful for, as we calling think. for the death of China. Wow. Not the death of China. The idea that this well, the command economy... Rise up. They're going to rise up. Have you noticed the surveillance society and what they're able to do over there now the, more than ever? How many internal divisions does she have? This got got deep in a hurry, guys. I like. So Faber, you could tell the wows there. Wow, wow. He was truly astonished by Jim's statement that the Chinese government, the Chinese society, was in any way in jeopardy. But again, I've got to completely agree with Jim. See, Faber's retort there that this is an interesting point, too. Oh, did the Russians ever have 10% GDP? Well, the thing about GDP is it includes government spending. And the deal with government spending is you have to take that from the productive economy in order to spend it. How long does that last before it becomes unsustainable, particularly at 10%? Does that strike anybody as sustainable right off the top of your head? You see, the United States made headlines just recently off a 4% GDP that a lot of people thought was impossible. And we're going, oh, this will never happen again. And, oh, that's, it's all about soybeans or whatever. Whatever you think the cause of GDP was, just putting it in context, obviously a 4% is a high number. 10%, especially if it's based on huge, centralized, command and control government spending, that's a bad read. You see, the thing about GDP in general, even if it backed government spending out completely, I still think GDP is an incredibly flawed measure of the economy because all it does is measure spending, just money trading back and forth. It makes no measure of, gee, 
is this good spending? Is this bad spending? How is this business or this thing that we bought, how is it going to age in the long run? How is it going to appreciate in the long run or depreciate? These types of things aren't really taken into a consideration in a command and control economy because they don't have to be. Also notice that Kramer clarified that he, that he said, not the death of China. Now, I thought that was a great clarification because even if the entire ch- current Chinese regime is, collapses and is forced to flee the country and Xi Jinping is just gone forever, or Xi Jinping, as I've heard it annoyingly pronounced lately. Pick a pronunciation, that's all I'm saying. Anyway, I digress. The point is, Mao wasn't that long ago. And by the way, neither were all these other dynasties and different rulers that have been in China. They have a long, storied history of rising up, in fact. And if it happens, as it has many, many times throughout history, frankly, it would almost be surprising if it didn't. But if it does, China will still be there. The people are still going to be there. Sure, some of them are probably going to die in a possible bloody overthrow revolutionary type conflict. But they're the Ch- just as that happened many times before in China, China will still remain. The point is, there's a difference between China, the country, and what I would call Beijing, the capital, or the government. So I like to, to make the d- distinction between America and D.C. and Russia and Moscow and Japan and Tokyo. But anyway, I also thought it was really funny at the end how clearly somebody was in Carl Quintanilla's ear at the end, and he got he got the wrap-up signal. Because Carl was going, whoa, this got deep in a hurry. Okay, I like it. And so that was basically his way of wrapping it up and, and going to break or, or transitioning into the next segment, whichever it was. So I just thought that was really interesting that clearly the people, the producers on CNBC didn't want to touch that with a pole and David Faber was astonished by what Jim Cramer was saying. What? China? Fail? How could this? How could the Chinese government possibly do anything wrong? And he talked about how, what? They have so much surveillance now. What are you talking about? It's just interesting how the people who are nearest power the most often are most envious of it, it seems. I don't mean to kill David too bad here. I think he's a really good reporter on a lot of things like mergers and acquisitions, for instance, which is, I believe, his specialty. But his um, naivete there was a little bit telling, and I don't think he's in any way alone there because, once again, I've heard this, oh, no, the Chinese dictators, they're all too powerful. to We can't possibly compete. Once again, nothing could be further from the truth. Now, certainly the United States is not a pure market-based economy, but we're a heck of a lot freer than China is and has been. So what's the result of that, Ben? Well, I thought Jerry Seinfeld on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, he was with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Elaine, you might know her from Seinfeld, thought he had a very good observation that I thought fit this episode quite well. Every woman today lives like Cleopatra. You got that right. The emollients and uh, salves and bombs and oils, just swimming in goo. <laughs> so every woman, in case you didn't hear that, every woman today lives like Cleopatra. 
And that's very true. That's something I've... It's not just a woman thing either. That was just his little funny observation. The truth is, is if you're listening to this podcast, by historical standards, you are incredibly wealthy. Just think about the incredible progress that has just been made in your lifetime. And now go back and think about the thousands of years before Christ that existed. And now, if you just imagine what human progress looks like, I want you to imagine a chart from thousands of years before Christ until the 1800s. And what you'll see is essentially a flat line for thousands of years. And then in the 1800s, suddenly you'll see a, a wild spike upward. It's like a hockey stick, if you will. It's a wild spike upward from the 1800s until today. Why is that? What happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Individual liberty happened. Frankly, the United States of America happened. And this grand experiment in liberty and trade got underway in the biggest way it ever had before. And frankly, the world has never totally looked back since. It's been a struggle, as it always is, and it's certainly not been perfect by any stretch of the imagination. There's been lots of starts and stops and that sort of thing. The path to liberty is not linear at all, but it's been on a clear upward pattern for the last couple hundred years, and people's lives have gotten immeasurably better. And anybody who doesn't recognize that is a fool. Just go back a hundred years and look at Vanderbilt or Rockefeller or any of the ty- the richest tycoons you could possibly imagine in this country. You have more technology than they could possibly imagine. If you're listening to my voice, odds are you're listening to it on a smartphone, a computer, a tablet. These are things that would offer anybody just incredible productivity. I mean, would Rockefeller trade his entire fortune for an iPhone that actually worked? He'd be going, wait a minute, so I have a library, an encyclopedia, and all this stuff. It's all just in my pocket? That's, it's mind-boggling to even think about, despite the fact that we're utterly and totally used to it. See this sweet little nine-year-old girl that my wife and I were babysitting recently? She had this statement, you know, she's a sweet girl. Her parents are... Fairly young, and I think, you know, obviously they're uh, they're having a tough time raising the kid as far as, uh, you know, paying the bills, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. You know, money's a little tight, is what I'm saying. But when, as she was looking at her iPhone, she said, I wish we were rich. Well, sweetie, you are rich. You're incredibly rich compared to 99.9% of the people who've ever lived. Now, I get it. People compare themselves to their peers. They compare themselves to other people. And that's just the way people are. And they compare themselves to where they were a year ago or two years ago. That's kind of how we are. We always want to move forward. So we're never going to be just totally satisfied. I understand that. That's human nature. But at the same time, let's not be ingrates. Let's take a moment to see everything that has happened because of freedom and liberty and trade in the last couple hundred years. Just take a step back sometime and just go, wow, am I lucky to be here or what? Would I want to go back 200 years and go to the dentist? Would I want to go back 200 years and 
try to travel across the country? I don't think you would. So just today, someday, step back when you're whining about something. And I know I have to do this sometimes too. You're going, come on, go faster, be better, you stupid phone. Just give it a second. Everything's going to be great. And speaking of people who are ingrates and complain all the time, I can't help but just share one last Seinfeld comedians in car getting coffee Seinfeld with you. This time from Bill Burr. See, I thought Bill's statement was quite profound here. And I thought it hit nicely with, just recently we've had an incredible rash of stories about baseball players, basketball players, whoever, of old tweets, quote, resurfacing. You know, insensitive things that were said a few years ago or whatever. Uh, First of all, if it mattered, if it didn't matter five, six years ago, why does it matter now? Second of all, I also hate the people, the instinct to want to sneak into people's lives and go aha see that's nuts to me it's one thing if you get offended at the time when somebody posts it to go back in time and to search through possibly hundreds if not thousands of years sorry sorry, thousands of tweets over several years that is a complete waste of your time and it can't possibly make you happy can it once again go outside and breathe in the fresh air Please, I'm begging you people. But anyway, here was Burr's sound effect, and I thought, his sound bite, I should say, I thought it was quite good. Like, the amount of times they've shown clips, they'll be like, controversy at the Laugh Factory, and they show the bit, and the whole crowd laughed. There was no controversy. One person got pissed, wrote a blog, it's a lazy journal story, right. and the next thing you, you know, you're on a split screen, and you're sitting there talking to a blogger. See, that's the thing. It's to- it's utterly lazy reporting. It's you're sitting in your stupid office and you're just going through Twitter and trying to make news based on that. See, I actually went to journalism school and I know I'm going to sound like old man Miller to some of you out here, but guess what? I'm only 35. That's not that freaking old. It's okay. Not only is it See, I'm old enough to remember when going outside and actually pounding the pavement was part of being a reporter. Well, guess what? The world has not changed that much. You need to get outside and actually see the world for what it is in order to report news. And that's part of that's part of being a trader, too. You can't just sit inside all day and think you're going to figure out the world on a spreadsheet. That's not how it works. You have to talk to people, see what's really happening out there in the world. Get the dust blown off you, please. I'm begging you. And Mr. Burr's other great point there is it's just one person that is magnifying everything. And it's just, it's insanity. Why do we care what, if one person is offended and a hundred laughed, why does the one person get to take precedence over everybody else? Particularly in a world of Twitter where it takes no effort to send out a tweet. See, back in the day, you used to actually have to write a letter, stamp an envelope, address it, walk out to the mailbox. In that amount of time, most people will probably cool off and forget about their stupid opinion by that point. They'll start going, is this really worth it? What am I doing here? Unfortunately, Twitter is way too fast. And I even have a little note 
that I've pasted on my desktop computer that says, think before you tweet, because that is very important. It's so tempting sometimes to just fire something out. And the, the other thing I would add to what Mr. Burr said was that not only is it just one person, but with the way bots are now, it's very easy, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, to send out a bunch of bot tweets that are made to look like <clears throat> hundreds of people when it's really just one guy in his basement doing all the damage. It's really insane. So what I'm saying is, is Twitter isn't real. It's clearly not real. Even if it were, even if there were no such thing as bots, there would be nothing scientific about Twitter. And yet all we're doing in journalism, in sports reporting, news reporting, all we're doing is focusing on Twitter. And hey, Twitter says this. Twitter says nothing. People on Twitter say stuff. There aren't people... Twitter is not some collective Borg-like entity that tells us right and wrong. And in fact, once again, even if there were no bots on Twitter, even if these are all individuals who are giving out their legitimate opinions, that doesn't make, mean that they're important. That doesn't mean that they're actionable. It doesn't mean that there's something that we as a society need to stop and go, oh no, somebody was offended by a sombrero joke. Let's... Let's stop everything. And not only that, let's fire this person. That's what we need to do. Fire them. Get rid of their livelihood. Let's ruin them. That's a horrible instinct. And if we're going to just, if it's one person doing something like that, <clears throat> we as a society are, are bowing down to the lowest common denominator. That's really what Twitter outrage is. When you report on Twitter, quote unquote, outrage, you're bowing down to the lowest common denominator of society. And you know what? That's as good a place to, to go out as any. So until next time, this has been the Everybody Trades Podcast.